to the Food for Thought podcast. I'm Andy Hanasek, Senior Editor of Food Processing Magazine. A week ago, Food Processing attended the International Production and Processing Expo, or IPPE, in Atlanta. While I was there, I was fortunate enough to be invited to participate in a news conference with Alexis Taylor, Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs for the USDA. As it was a small group of journalists in attendance for this conference, the opportunity afforded me a chance to ask Undersecretary Taylor a couple questions, including how the outside world perceives the US food system when states rush to pass legislation ahead of and often in competition with the federal regulations in place, as well as which U.S. products she sees as most coveted in the export market nowadays. What follows is a recording of Undersecretary Taylor's opening remarks to the media present, followed by my questions and Taylor's answers to my questions. We have decided to edit out any other media or publications questions and the subsequent answers to those questions as a show of editorial respect for their own content. Not to mention that some of the questions didn't particularly pertain to you, our listeners, directly. I hope you enjoy the episode. My name is Alexis Taylor. I'm the Undersecretary for the Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs Mission Area at USDA. Um, I've been in that role for a year, and in that capacity, I oversee our Foreign Agricultural Service and the U.S. Codex Alimentarius Office. FAS is probably more well-known than the Codex Office, but both sides of the TFAA kind of mission are critically important. FAS uh, is the lead international agency at USDA. We have a Foreign Service Corps uh, where we have individuals posted, about 100 individuals posted overseas uh, in U.S. embassies and consulates working in 180 countries roughly uh, to advance uh, U.S. export opportunities, address um, barriers to trade for U.S. food and agricultural exports, and also uh, we work on advancing U.S. uh, global food security programming. So we oversee USDA's um, food security programming. The U.S. Codex Office works with the Codex Alimentarius Commission, which is an international body that sets food safety standards to facilitate trade. So things like internationally MRLs, say, would be an example, whether on a pesticide or antibiotic product to be used in livestock. In the United States, we have a risk risk-based process where our regulatory agencies go through and uh, identify what is a safe level, but a lot of the world doesn't have that technical capacity. And so Codex sets these standards. They are look at you know the expert advice that's out there to determine what is safe. So a country that is maybe developing a regulatory system or doesn't have it at all can say, oh, this, this product can be used safely at this level. Um, and that helps facilitate trade. So it's a great lesser known part of what USDA's work is. So I oversee, as I mentioned, kind of the international activities, a big part of that is trade. And um, trade is really critically important to our agriculture community. Uh, about 
of our production is being exported to the global marketplace. And as a result, we really see a significant and important share of our producers' cash receipts being tied to trade. Under the Biden-Harris administration, U.S. agricultural exports have actually significantly increased, setting a record in 2021 and again setting a new record in 2022. We actually don't have the final numbers for 2023, but we expect another very strong year. We often think about agricultural exports or you know, the agricultural economy is a rural issue, but really it is a issue that impacts um, communities and people in all parts of the United States, not just necessarily our rural, uh, rural communities. Uh, just in a kind of some numbers to illustrate this, in 2021, for example, U.S. agricultural exports supported more than 1.2 million jobs and generated nearly $190 billion in economic activity. So what we see is for every 1 billion of U.S. agricultural exports, almost 7,000 jobs are created and it adds uh, one point, just over a billion dollars uh, to the economy. So we actually see a multiplier effect. It's more than one to one for exports to the value to our economy. Last year, actually, USDA worked with USTR, other private sector organizations um, like our meat and poultry and feed industries, and we preserved, uh, worked to preserve more than $6.4 billion in U.S. agricultural trade. So those were barriers that maybe were erected last year, and we worked to knock down those barriers or make sure our products could still access those markets. Um, and even though we've seen some success in recent years, those numbers are big and impressive, um, we also recognize that U.S. agricultural exports are facing some strong trade headwinds today. The strength of the U.S. dollar, increased competition from parts of the world, in particular uh, South America. And so because of that, one of my priorities uh, since uh, coming to USDA, and I think a priority for uh, USDA as we look to our work in 2024, is to continue to encourage market diversification for our U.S. agricultural products and exports. We have long been a global leader uh, in food and ag exports to the world, but as we look at where our products are going, nearly 60% is going to just four markets, China, Canada, uh, Mexico, and the EU. We at USDA know that's important. Those are important markets, and we're going to continue to invest in those markets, but at the same time, as we see new demographic trends happening, we want to encourage market diversification and help our industry really explore what other markets might um, open new opportunities for them and really get U.S. food and ag products um, to all parts of the world. I think diversification is an important tool as we think about maximizing growth opportunities as well as a way to hedge risk of market contraction um, and general volatility in the global marketplace that we have seen now for several years, starting um, with some of the 2018-19 trade dispute that we had through the COVID pandemic, through supply chain challenges. And that's why in October, um, USDA announced $1.2 billion in new funding uh, to stand up the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program, known as RAP, or the government. We give everything an uh, mm -hmm. acronym. And really what this is to do is to um, leverage industry dollars with federal dollars um, to expand into some of these growth market opportunities. Um, those four countries I mentioned, or those four, four markets I mentioned, um, are not eligible for RAP dollars. So these RAP programs are really meant to complement existing Farm Bill authorized market development programming that we already run, known as like the Market Access Program, the Foreign Development, or the Foreign Market Development Program. 
so just maybe briefly before we open it to questions, I'll talk about some of the areas we see excitement in some growth opportunities. I would say we are thinking about at USDA things like Africa, Latin America, the Middle East, South and Southeast Asia. When you think about Africa, um, I think there's a lot of untapped market potential for U.S. food and agriculture, especially with the 2019 uh, ratification of the African Continental Free Trade Area that really is driving the continent towards a harmonized uh, trade facilitation regime. Uh, by 2050, one in four people on the planet will live on the African continent. So I think there's a lot of untapped potential, and our hope is with some of these wrapped dollars, we'll be able to help industry do programming there that maybe they don't have the resources to do today. As we think about Southeast Asia, we're seeing uh, rapid GDP growth, um, young and expanding middle classes, urbanizing populations, and increasingly modern food retail systems. And I, I, what we know is by getting into those markets early, we can build lifelong consumers of U.S. food and ag products. I also think, as we think about Latin America, they are some of our oldest trade agreements are there. Uh, we have really a similar value system uh, around science-based, rules-based trade and decision-making. And so really in, doubling down, investing in that area is going to be, I think, really important going forward. Because again, we are while we're seeing more competition from South America, we're also seeing more competition into kind of Latin America and South America. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there to use some of these resources um, to try and, again, really expand our markets um, for U.S. food and agriculture. And so I might stop there um, and just look forward to the questions uh, that you all might have. So you mentioned the growth opportunities regionally. What are some of the products and maybe agriculture or even food products that you're seeing as having good potential as great exportable type of things, you know, American life, if you will. So, um, you know, it's interesting when I, and I obviously travel a lot internationally, I'm doing some domestic travel uh, the first kind of quarter of this year, which is kind of unusual for me. Um, But as I travel around the world, what I, what we find is basically anything we produce, there's a market for us to export it. Um, an example of this, I was I led a trade mission. That's one of the tools we have at USDA is we do about six trade missions a year, all parts of the world, um, except Antarctica. We did six <laughs> continents last year. We that's not a growth. That's not a growth opportunity. Not a, not not yet. So. <laughs> um, but so I was in Southeast Asia. We did Malaysia, Singapore, and we met with um, some some individuals who they were importing U.S. feed products. But they also were looking to expand and they wanted to create their own dairy herd. So they were looking at importing um, gen- U.S. genetics uh, for uh, their, to build their dairy herd and then expand the feed ingredients that they were importing from the United States as well. Huge growth opportunity, right? It's something like that. So what we see is as middle, in, uh, middle classes grow, incomes grow, what do people do? One of the first things they do is they look to diversify their food product. They look to uh, buy higher quality uh, food products. The U.S. Uh, food products are known to be safe around the world. And so maybe their own livestock industry expands. Um, they develop more of a taste, but it also gives us an opportunity to expand some of our own meat and poultry exports than if they're growing their livestock sector feed ingredients. Um, but we also see a lot of uh, demand for like consumer packaged goods. Um, uh, in March, I'll be leading a trade mission to Korea and they are a big snack culture. And so we'll take a lot of kind of 
finished products, chips, and some of those prepackaged foods there as well. So I think depending on um, the market where they kind of are on that income scale, products can look different, but we can take, there's not a market that I have been in where we cannot ha see the diversity of what we produce also have a home to be exported. Our states are, right now are battling with the federal government over regulations around things like Prop 12 and red dye number three and all these ingredients. How does that look to the outside world when the states are, in some instances, outrunning the agencies that are supposed to regulate everything? How does that look to our outside trade partners and some of the potential trade partners, especially in the realm of what is really food safe, what really isn't? Mm -hmm. Is it science? Is it politics? How, how does all of that play in? You know, I think one of the things that we do spend some time talking about is just our federalist system, right? Um, and how our states do have a lot of um, rights um, uh, under the way the U.S. government system is set up um, to uh, pass these types of laws, right? Um, and we have a way, uh, as we saw with Prop 12, to challenge those. So we do get questions, absolutely, and what the impact is going to be potentially raising concerns. And we do have to talk about, like, this is how the U.S. system works, because every government is different. Um, and it can... Um, I don't want to say that we're, we don't hear about it, but we do try to navigate, again, the things that we control at USDA, the things that at the federal level, our counterparts, whether it be FDA, EPA, right, we have a risk-based system, they um, are regulators at, you know, FSIS and APHIS, um, and how we approach that um, from a science-based, rules-based, transparent process where people have that input, um, and, and that's the core of our work, not that we don't hear about some of those other concerns or challenges, but again, it's about talking about the way our system is set up and that states do have rights to do some of these types of things. But again, what is our mandate and what is our focus? For everyone listening in today to our Food for Thought podcast, thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find more of our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere you can find podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future and have a great day.